Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. New Books in Southeast Asian Studies is sponsored by the ANU Southeast Asia Institute, the Griffith Asia Institute, the New York Southeast Asia Network, the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, and the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. Welcome to New Books in Southeast Asian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Michelle Ford, the Director of the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney and a co-host of the channel. Today I'm talking to Dr. Tom Bourdonnais, a Senior Lecturer in Japanese and International Studies at Macquarie University and author of Boys Love Media in Thailand, Celebrity, Fans and Transnational Asian Queer Popular Culture, published by Bloomsbury Press in 2023. Boys Love Media in Thailand explores the contours of fandom and in particular the mainstreaming of queer romance, not only in Thailand, but in the Philippines and also Japan. Last year, Tom joined my colleague Natalie Pearson on the CX Stories podcast to talk about the Japanese origins of the boys' love trope, the Thai boys' love series, and the audience the series has found in Thailand and elsewhere, all topics also covered in this book. This podcast is also hosted by the New Books Network, so today we'll focus more on the significance of this genre for our understanding of Thailand. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Michelle, as always, for having me. Tom, you're a scholar of Japan by training. What prompted you to begin engaging in Southeast Asia? It is actually a bit of a funny story, but also a really exciting story of how my perception of the object of my study rapidly changed. It was in the final year of my PhD, actually, where I was working on a project exploring the representational politics of queer media within the Japanese context where I stumbled across quite serendipitously a new emerging media phenomenon within Thailand. This was, of course, Boys Love, the dramas that I focus on within this new book of mine, which, um, as I explained in, in that podcast that you mentioned with your colleague Natalie Pearson, is originally a Japanese popular culture form that has had a long tradition of transnational fandom in both East and Southeast Asia. So discovering this new Thai version of the Japanese popular culture form that I had been writing about quite significantly in my PhD, it really sparked me to think about the politics of the transnationalization of Japanese queer popular culture initially. And then when I discovered through my observations of the fandom for this newly emergent Thai media culture, especially fandom within the English language, I was pleasantly surprised to discover that one significant, in fact, perhaps the most significant at the time in the mid-2010s, fandom for this media content was in the Philippines. So I became increasingly interested in the politics of Japanese media circulation within Southeast Asia, looking at the Philippines and Thailand, and thinking about the theoretical frameworks that Japanese studies scholars utilize to make sense of these flows, and becoming increasingly 
disappointed perhaps by some of the Japan-centric ways in which this media flow was theorized. And I thought about how the transformation of a Japanese popular culture form into a Thai popular culture form that was then consumed in the Philippines would provide us new theoretical avenues to think about media culture in East and Southeast Asia in a more holistic way. And that that's really what led me to begin working on this project and also led me to begin engaging quite seriously with academic work in Thai cultural studies and working together with colleagues in Thailand. And we'll return to some of those more theoretical aspects of the study later. But first, I'd like to start with a point you make in the book where you critique global stereotypes of Thailand as a gay paradise. At the same time, though, like much of Southeast Asia, Thailand historically has had a very nuanced approach to gender and certainly much more nuanced than is historically the case in Australia or other Anglophone countries. What happened in the meantime to assert heteronormativity as a fundamental pillar of Thai modernity? So this has been something that I've often reflected on within this project because as someone who is trained in Japanese studies but also has an undergraduate background and, and also training during my postgraduate years within Asian studies and Asian queer studies more broadly, some of the seminal writing on Asian queer studies emerges from scholars of Thailand who were increasingly concerned by this stereotype of Thailand as an LGBTQ paradise. And, and within this, this book, I talk within the introduction about how there are these stereotypes that are tied to, for example, tourism to Thailand, sexual tourism on behalf of Western white men in particular, or how Thailand operates as a space of sexual exploration for people in East and Southeast Asia, as well as for trans individuals who often would travel to Thailand for the purposes of surgery. And there has been, as I said, this long tradition in Asian queer studies about thinking through Thailand as a site to challenge the global hegemony of LGBTQ identity politics as it is expressed in the North American activist and also academic literature. But at the same time, there is, as you say, this kind of tension where Thai, historically, Thai society has had a fluid conceptualization of gender or sexuality, what in Thai language is called pet, which has a diversity that on the surface does indeed appear to challenge Western binaristic accounts of gender. But what happens within Thai history, which is a, a history that is played out across both East and Southeast Asia, was during you know the late 19th century and the early 20th century when there were both colonial moments within certain spaces in Southeast Asia or self-colonizing moments is one way to think about it, such as Japan and Thailand, where there was no formal colonial apparatus from a Western power, but there was an influx of Western theoretical and medical discourse as part of a self-driven kind of move to quote-unquote modernize and within Thailand, this is where we begin to see the introduction of Western medical science and sexology and how this then was kind of incorporated into a what in, in Thai language is called siwilai, the notion of a supposed civilized society that 
drew upon Western knowledge and, and localized it to the Thai context. So within the book and in the introduction to the book and throughout the analysis, I, I constantly refer back to the ways in which a kind of heteropatriarchal media culture was part and parcel of that broader, almost westernizing sexual politics that emerged in Thailand in, in the 20th century and how the rise of boys' love media and the influence from Japan is beginning to perhaps challenge or shift that once again. Yeah, and obviously that word civilai is, is for a loan word from English, in fact, right? So moving on from that historical period and indeed the the infiltration of, of Western colonial ideas even in countries that weren't formally colonised, it'd be interesting to hear a little more about contemporary queer culture in Thailand. How much of it is influenced by Western constructs of queerness? So this is quite an interesting topic. And as I kind of mentioned, it, it speaks to broader histories of studies of Asian queer culture more broadly, where we have seen a vibrant tradition by such colleagues, eminent colleagues, such as um, Peter Jackson, for example, who is a professor of Thai cultural studies and history at the Australian National University, who has been quite important in thinking about the contemporary nature of queer culture in Thailand and its relationships to Western identity categories. And, and what is interesting is is we see, particularly from the kind of 70s and 80s onwards, and, and the emergence of a of a what Dennis Altman, for example, call a global queer culture, in which we see the language and the ideas that underpin LGBTQ identity politics meet with the local expressions and understandings of gender and sexuality in sites across East and Southeast Asia, and then become transformed into a new kind of what we could call glocalized knowledge. And within Thailand, this means that a lot of the vocabulary and logics of, as I said, LGBTQ identity politics that is born out of North America and born out of Western Europe, and, and particularly the English language, queer culture, these terms such as gay, such as lesbian, become imported into Thailand and become part and parcel of that system of pet, that system of sexual knowledge that predates Western culture in Thailand. And it's quite interesting because what we've seen over the past few decades in Thailand is how the development of a domestic consumer culture tied to an aspirational middle class within Thailand has created spaces, most of which are, of course, subcultural spaces within which Thai men and women, as well as those who don't identify with those cisgendered categories, have been able to draw upon consumer culture and media culture as a site to kind of integrate themselves into Thai society and to emphasize their existence. But up until about the mid-2000s, it was often the case that these Thai queer communities were engaging with Western media texts and Western media discourses and consumer culture in order to assert their existence. 
What happens from the mid-2000s onwards is that as Thai consumer culture and particularly youth culture and and the, the kind of upwardly mobile kind of aspirational consumer patterns of this can, this kind of youth middle class culture becomes increasingly embedded within a inter-Asian media ecosystem within which the media of Japan and later South Korea becomes the marker of taste, we see young people shifting away from Western LGBTQ or queer media and discourses and shifting their focus onto East Asian media culture. And the research that I am doing on the role of boys love media in Thailand, which is a transnational Asian media culture that is born out of Japan, is part and parcel of this shift. So what I'm hoping to do with this case study of Boys Love Media in Thailand is to contribute to the broader focus that is emerging in Thai cultural studies of charting this shift away from the quote-unquote West as the dominant other within Thai society to think more pluralistically about how these negotiations occur at the intersections of Thai local knowledge, Western media circuits, and East Asian media circuits. And in fact, you argue in the book that the emergence of the Thai boys love media phenomenon marks a shift in the centre of queer cultural production within Asia from Japan to Thailand. On what basis do you make that argument? This comes from my methods in the book, which is particularly emphasising the focus on fandom. So I am, by training, a cultural anthropologist, so I'm an ethnographer, And I've also developed a keen interest in looking at particularly the intersections of consumer culture, media production, and fandom consumption, particularly as it is expressed in online spaces as well as as it is expressed in kind of, let's say, physical spaces. So I make this rather for perhaps my Japanese studies kind of colleagues, what would be a very provocative claim that is perhaps not at all surprising for anyone who's kind of watching contemporary Thai consumer culture, that the center of boys' love production has shifted from Japan to Thailand and has also shifted from the kind of comic book animated film television series focus of Japan to the live action celebrity culture of Thailand. Because as I observe fans across East and Southeast Asia, and then subsequent to the writing of the book, seeing the emergence of fans in such far afield sites as as Latin America, North America, Western Europe, and even here amongst my students in Australia, what I'm seeing is that people are beginning to think of BL as a Thai phenomenon. And this was something that I wrote about within both previously published articles, but also within the chapters exploring transnational fandom within this book about how there is a cohort of consumers for whom boys love is a kind of Thai popular culture form. And this is, I think, quite significant because to go back to what I was saying earlier about how I was dissatisfied with the theoretical accounts of the kind of globalization of the transnational circulation of Japanese media, 
and how the frameworks that existed there didn't necessarily give me the theoretical tools to explain what I was observing. This kind of shift and this this new center of, of Thai cultural production as the center for BL, you know, within within the previous ways that we write about Japanese media flows and, and boys love kind of history, if you will, these fans that I was engaging with would be considered to be somehow deluded or mistaken about the kinds of ways in which they make sense of BL. But I wanted to kind of center their narratives and kind of suggest that because I'm committed as an ethnographer to, you know, respecting the views and values of my research interlocutors, you know, I wanted to actually create a framework that would respect and in fact argue that they're not mistaken, they're producing a new way of thinking about the world. So that's really what I'm trying to do with this provocation. And to be fair, this is a provocation predominantly to my colleagues in Japanese studies. But I think it's also useful, those colleagues working within Southeast Asian studies, because I think that it adds more fodder, perhaps, to the theoretical practices of of colleagues who want to think about Southeast Asia as a dynamic site of production rather than, quote unquote, a laboratory that we can just kind of observe and extract theory from. Let's turn now to the main focus of the book, which is, of course, is on fans. How do you define fandom and how is the identity of individual fans constituted by their membership of the Boys Love Club? So fandom, I think for me, is best theorized as a very dynamic, creative and transformative collective of individuals who have a very strong, what we could call effective relationship with the media that they choose to consume. So fandom is a form of media consumption within which the attachment to the media that they consume is highly charged and that it is highly charged in a way that has allowed these fans to transform the ways in which they understand both themselves, the objects of their consumption, and the world within which they live. So I really emphasize this this kind of transformative aspect of fandom because I think that within the context of of the work that I'm doing within this book, where I am also developing an argument about how this new form of queer media within both Thailand and outside of Thailand in, in spaces like China, the Philippines, and Japan is used by various subjects to assert a queer subject position or assert a challenge to heteronormativity. Within my my work, I want to really focus on the active and creative force of fandom. So to be a member of the, the BL fandom, and I think that it's important to note that there is not one unified Thai BL fandom. There are numerous fandom cultures attached to the celebrities and the television series and, and the companies that produce these various shows. And that it is a, a space in which people are actively consuming in particular ways. They're motivated to consume in a way that is framed along logics that actually emerge from like Thai consumer culture and its interest in K-pop culture. So this idea that to be a fan is to support 
an idol celebrity and in so doing they will return the support to you. This is something that Thai fans of Thai BL have kind of borrowed from K-pop and they they are encouraged to do so by Thai production companies such as the production company that I present as a case study in the book GMM Grammy which is one of Thailand's largest media producers. And and what we have here is this kind of dynamic space in which people are actively consuming in particular ways. So they watch the TV shows, but they also participate in online debate. They buy merchandise. They attend concerts and fan meetings. They circulate images. They buy the items that Thai BL celebrities endorse within advertising campaigns. And it's this very dynamic consumer culture I emphasize as well within the book that it isn't, you know, some kind of neoliberalized consumerist nightmare scape. We could theorize it that way, but I'm much more interested in in focusing on the reparative kind of potentials of this. So how it operates as a space for people to express their desires and find meaning within a world that might be hostile to their, let's say, flourishing So I'd like to turn now to some questions about theory and method. We've already talked about a number of the more theoretical aspects of the book, but I wanted to hone in them a little more. In the book, you critique the tendency in the scholarship to treat Asia as a laboratory for testing Western theory. Can you outline your critique on this for us? Certainly. So this is something that I feel very passionate about, and I feel very passionate about it because of my commitment to, you know, reflexive anthropological methods and also understanding that as a white male Australian who is kind of actively writing about and participating in a consumer culture grounded in Thailand, of course, that I I need to think about my own relationship with that. And we have a long history within anthropology, of course, where anthropologists were part and parcel of a kind of colonial machine that was all about transforming or extracting value from the quote-unquote natives in order to, you know, benefit not the native themselves but the, the colonial state. And within, you know, writing on Asian cultural studies, there has been a very strong reaction against this kind of theorization because of the hierarchies of knowledge that still exist within many disciplines that are predominantly Western-centric. So what I draw upon within my book is a decolonial method or even a de-imperial method, to more accurately quote the scholar whose work I'm referring to, known as Asia's method. So this is developed by Quan Xing Chen, who's a very famous historian of kind of imperial colonial experience in East and Southeast Asia, and is based out of the National University of Singapore. And it is out of the National University of Singapore that we see this fantastic collective of cultural studies scholars working within what they call inter-Asian cultural studies. And Asian queer theorists such as myself have been very much indebted to the work of these two kind of Asia's method and inter-Asian cultural studies approaches, which are designed to flip the power relationships 
that exist within traditional scholarship on Asia on its head. So I, this is why I, I, I say that, you know, I don't treat Asia as a laboratory to test Western theory, you know, theory that has been developed from Western case studies and then treated as if they're universal. What I instead do is think about generating the theory from Asia itself, particularly from Thailand and its interactions with Japan, its interactions with the Philippines, and its interactions with China. And I do this through the case study of Boys Love. So I think that from my perspective, this is really about denaturalizing, if you want to speak very kind of fancily, the notion that Western theory is somehow universal. It is somehow always going to be the most correct or most legitimate way of making sense of a phenomenon. And, and within queer theory, even to this day, despite queer theorists' kind of what we call radical commitment to deconstruction, which I think is something that we'll unpack a little bit more in a bit, there is still a, a an underlying Western centrism, particularly, you know, with the idea that LGBTQ identity politics that are grounded in North American conceptualizations of human rights and so forth are kind of have this kind of teleological inevitability and that Asia will eventually, quote unquote, catch up to the West by adapting to and, and accepting these kinds of logics and ways of thinking. So from my perspective, what we can use Boys Love Media from Thailand to do is say, hang on, what about centering Thailand as the site to make sense of queer theory. And, and to kind of talk about just one very simple example of this, Thai boys love dramas sensitively exploring young boys in high school coming to terms with their sexuality is something that we can trace back not just to the very first Thai boys love drama that was released in 2014, Lovesick the series, but even further back to what I position as a prehistory of boys love in my book, talking about a film by the noted Thai um, director Chukyat Sakvirakun called Love of Siam that was released in 2007. And this is a very, very robust history that many people don't know about. So when there was this drama released on Netflix called Heartstopper, which is written by a British kind of author based on a, a graphic novel published by a British publishing house. And I saw all of this media celebration of finally we have in, I think, 2020, late 2021, early 2022, we finally have a sensitive exploration of young people navigating queerness in high school. My response immediately was Thailand's been doing that for almost a decade. So this is what I mean by flipping the narrative. I am indeed very interested in having you unpack the concept of a radical queer theorist a bit more. Tell us what this means for your lens that you bring to your subjects, Tom. Okay, so to talk first, we'll, we'll just address queer theorist, and then we'll talk about what the radical part is. So when I when I talk about queer theory, you know, this is queer not as an identity category. It's not queer in terms of a sexual experience. What I'm talking about is queerness as a force in the world that is deconstructive, that is about kind of challenging the kinds of norms that exist within society. And, and classically speaking, the, the norm that queer theorists 
most interested in challenging is what we call the heteronormative ideologies of of kind of social life. So the the idea that heterosexuality is the default and natural sexuality for all social subjects and that gender is structured along a binary within which men the active possessors of desire and women are the passive objects of that man's desire this is kind of what queerness is within the theoretical tradition that i've been trained in but when i say i'm radical it's it's about also thinking not just about the deconstructive force in a passive sense it's about actually really focusing on bringing about and kind of exposing the kinds of instability of the norms that that society understands to be natural and this is what i i, I talk about in terms of denaturalization so a radical queer theorist such as myself is not necessarily interested in in some kind of approach that that is about kind of finding a seat at the table and addressing exclusion it's about taking a an axe to the table and and destroying the table because the table's the problem this is what i mean to do this however you know i i've been talking about and i just used a metaphor that's very deconstructive but actually within the work that i do in boys love media in thailand i'm actually working with a reparative radical queer theory so this means that i'm interested in exploring of course the deconstructive potentials of boys love but how the amelioratory practices of fans for instance how their community building and and their supporting each other and how they build a culture around supporting each other within a society as i said that is hostile to their flourishing which has become a bit of a buzzword i've been using lately and how they can then through the support mechanisms and through the highly emotionally charged and enjoyable experience of fandom do this queer work of challenging heteronormativity within Thai society but also most significantly also how fans outside of Thailand draw upon this Thai media do this work in their own local contexts as well So yes, this is what I mean, and 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 it's it's about kind of celebrating, as I've already said, the transformative practices of my subjects themselves, and not necessarily looking at them skeptically or through you know to be really fancy the the hermeneutics of suspicion, where I'm trying to look at how they've been duped or how they've been tricked or or something. What I'm more interested in is how they they use their passion for this media. to transform the world for for the better. So, I'm going to ask you to apply that to something else you do in the book, which is to look in really forensic detail at for example the kinds of shots used to develop a particular kind of gaze. What are the benefits of these close readings of the series for your analysis, but also how do they articulate this commitment to radical queer theory? So, when I began doing this this work, I actually wasn't necessarily considering examining the the texts themselves because I as I said I'm an anthropologist and I was most interested in the fandom culture and and also the celebrity culture that had emerged around Thai BL but as I was writing the book and thinking about it it became increasingly apparent to me that I needed to do 
I guess we could call them cultural studies inflected analyses of key texts that fans themselves had shared with me as being significant within the broader history of TIBL. And I should flag that the, the book does open with a very in-depth history of the development of the genre. So following that history is when I present the analysis of the texts. And, and initially, the, the analysis I was doing was simply trying to chart how particular tropes that emerge out of Japanese boys' love, the originator of the genre, were then transposed to the Thai mediascape and, and adapted or used wholesale or even innovated to kind of create a new kind of culture form in Thailand. But as I was writing this, as I was doing this work, I kept on remembering there are people who consume this text and they've told me about how they consumed this text. And most importantly, you know, as a fan myself who consumes these texts, often in concert with, virtual concert with fans in Thailand and around the globe, I'm very familiar with the politics of the view. And the texts are structured in such a way that they produce a particular effective response, which in Thai language is called fin, which comes from the word finale, which is a slang term from Thai gay male culture, actually to refer to, um, well, ejaculation and orgasm. So it's the intense feeling of satisfaction that one gets from sex, and then it's used to also talk about the immense feeling of satisfaction one gets from consuming Thai BL media. And, and you know, maybe if I want to be a little bit less smutty, we could call it jouissance to kind of refer to, you know, Lacanian psychoanalysis. What is significant here is that it led me to think about how the texts are structured in such a way to produce this intense emotional or effective reaction. And then through my conversations with the fans that I've been interviewing, then I began to learn and theorize how this process of viewing was then applied by fans to produce this queer intervention that I've been talking about. So there is this kind of series of close-ups shots and then kind of reaction shots that, that I, I won't go into too much depth because it's, it's almost impossible to explain visual stuff in an audio-only podcast. But there's this kind of structure that you see in every single BL series that's produced in Thailand of close-up shots of intimacy that intended to spark this emotional reaction. And then fans who are could be, you know, for instance, a heterosexual female fan or a gay male fan, what have you, they internalize the emotion that it produces and then use it to celebrate and insist on more queer romance, you know, between handsome, pretty boys. And then using that viewing that they have now kind of developed, they can then apply this gaze that has been produced through the consumption of BL series to any other form of media within Thai society or indeed within their everyday lives. And it, it kind of queers their look so that they're now... In Japan, we actually have a phrase for this. We say that their their way of engaging with the world has become rotten, and not in the sense of like, you know, it's somehow wicked or bad. What it means is, is their brain is so full of beautiful boys kissing 
and the celebration of the enjoyment of that, that their brain has almost like pickled or fermented with the kind of potency of the queer, erotic and affective response. So they seek it out at every single moment and they view the world in ways that produce this gaze. So what I do in Boys Love Media in Thailand is chart how this way of viewing is created within Thai BL fandom culture. And then I kind of argue through my analysis of the fandom culture that this has then become politicized within Thailand and is now used by fans within Thailand of this media who insist on for instance, the introduction of anti-discrimination laws and marriage equality within Thailand. And, and this is how we see something as, as trivial as getting excited about two handsome male celebrities kissing on screen is then transformed into a political praxis. So could I ask you to talk a bit more about your positionality, both as a Thai BL fan yourself, but also as someone who challenges heteronormativity in your everyday life, rather than just a squalor of queerness as you've described it above? Uh, I guess this is where I kind of think back to how on Twitter, just before we began chatting, Michelle, that I just shared two images of handsome Thai boys, you know, shirtless. I'm going, wow, well done. Hang, congratulations. So I think one of the things that is important within research on fandom and my own positionality as a fan is that, yes, I may be a white Australian whose Thai language skills exist, but they're certainly not necessarily super fluent you know i'm able to have kind of conversations in thai language with my fans and and, and like interlocutors and, and so forth but could i sit down and talk in depth about maybe political issues unfortunately not at this moment in time that's why i collaborate with colleagues in thailand but what i do share with these fans is the effective engagement so I understand what it means to be a fan. And I say this within my office where I'm recording this interview with you, surrounded by all of the, you know, material culture, but I guess we can just call it merch that I've gathered over six years of fandom. And, you know, I have particular celebrity couples from, from Thai BL media that I have been following for years and who I've had the opportunity as a fan to interact with. And indeed, within one of my chapters, I use this moment as a site to make sense of and theorize some of what I've been talking to you because I have this intense moment where I got to chat with my two most popular Thai BL couples, a celebrity couple called Tay New. And like I use that as a site to, to kind of drive my theory. And so it's not just about building rapport with interview subjects. It's about actively participating within this culture of transnational effect. Because one of the things that I emphasize in the book is that whilst this kind of media culture originates in Thailand, it is transnational in scope and the participants are from all over the world. And in many ways, we have a few languages that I luckily, by coincidence, happen to have under my belt, English, Chinese, and Japanese, that are emerging as lingua francas for this emerging transnational popular culture form. So thinking about how my own positionality as a Thai fan connects to this broader kind of political commitment I have as a quote-unquote radical queer theorist is that I myself have experienced and felt the transformative potentials of Thai BL media. And then 
you know, to kind of go back all the way to the beginning of our discussion, Michelle, how I was talking about my serendipitous discovery of Thai BL and how it led me to Southeast Asia. And then that led me to question the the logics that were considered axiomatic within Japanese studies. And that led me to consider even more the kind of Asian queer cultural studies project of challenging Western theory. One of the things that I think that Thai BL has helped me do, as well as my work on Japanese media, is lead, you know, young me to become a real strong advocate for Asia as the site in which I think a very dynamic queer cultural politics is emerging. That's led someone such as myself who grew up imbibing the notion that Western societies such as, you know, Australia have a more developed and more quote unquote correct queer political culture. And now I don't think that at all. Like I've been really kind of transformed through my own fandom for Thai BL and this book is kind of like my love song, if you will, as an academic to a popular culture form that has been personally very meaningful for me. And in fact, I always reflect back to a moment that I had very early on in my PhD journey where I sat down with my supervisor and said to them, I don't want to be a scholar of boys' love because I think there's too many of them. And now here I have written a book about boys' love. So it's it's quite... Yeah, it's been quite a transformative journey. Just before we wrap up, would you like to tell us a bit about what you're working on now? I recently completed a project funded by the Academy of Korean Studies that was about exploring the role of Korean popular culture and K-pop idol music in particular in kind of shaping the knowledge of LGBTQ fans in what I call Anglophone Asia-Pacific, so Australia and the Philippines, and particularly thinking about LGBTQ fandom for K-pop as a space of support during the pandemic. But I'm just about to launch into a new project that's actually bringing me back in part to Japan, but will also draw upon the work I've been doing in Thailand, where I'm going to look at fandom for male idol celebrities as a feminist praxis within Japanese society. And that will involve looking at Japanese fans, both women and men of male idols from Japan, from Korea, and also from Thailand, because I'm always going to have this interest now in Thai popular culture. I'm about to leave actually on on a, an extended research trip that will begin that project. So that, that's where I'm wor- what I'm working on right now. Tom Vaudenay, thanks for joining us on New Books in Southeast Asian Studies to discuss boys love media in Thailand, celebrity, fans, and transnational Asian queer popular culture. You've been listening to New Books in Southeast Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to hundreds of other conversations about Southeast Asia-related books on the channel. You can download or stream these interviews free of charge from the New Books Network website or subscribe through your favourite podcast app. I look forward to joining you again before too long for another conversation about a new book in Southeast Asian Studies.